Yeah. It's a strong sense of belonging in HE for all students. This is most effectively nurtured through mainstream activities that all students participate in, blah, blah, blah. Um, and also, this is important, the concept of student engagement encompassing both academic and social. So it's a very, very broad, um, broad context in which students um, should, could belong in, in higher education. Um, the one beneath, the quote beneath, um, is from our friend Tinto, who um, I was actually quite surprised when you said he, he wasn't really used in, in higher education. Vincent Tinto is, I, I consider him to be the granddaddy of student retention. He's an American, he, he, as Ros said, he came up with this uh, model in 1975 of student, and he actually called it the model of student persistence. He's been hugely influential um, right across the world, actually. Um, and uh, he, not so much for his methodology, which is very um, influential in the States because it does use variables, it's got a very kind of quant sort of approach, but, but certainly his work has, has profoundly influenced the emergence of this, um, this idea of belonging in, in HE in the UK, in the UK literature. He uses different words, he uses uh, congruency and he uses integration. So the terminology is different, but, but the underlying kind of sense is, is, is the same. Um, so belonging in HE is, is uh, very, very prominent. It's become embedded in retention agendas, the student experience agenda, the student engagement agenda. Um, so very, very prominent, but I would also argue it's, very, it's highly problematic. Um, and I'm going to explain why, why I think that. Um, Another quote, uh, belonging is often used in a way that implies a common understanding of what belonging is and why belonging is important. Needless to say, no such common understanding exists. And I just want you to think back to that other, other um, phrase that I highlighted in red in, to in Liz Thomas's quote, which is about mainstream activities that all students engage in. You know, there is a common understanding um, that just, you know, we've talked, to, this lady over here talked about the diversity of international students. I was talking, I was studying the diversity of part-time mature students. Students are hugely diverse. And to say all students do this, all students do that, um, it just, it just doesn't, it's just not the case. Um, so this dominant model of belonging in HE, in, in, in UK higher education, is very, very much focused on a typical, typical undergraduate, full-time, young student, um, probably resident on campus for the first year or nearby for the first year, probably a home student, um, and you know, those students who do fit those criteria have particular ways of engaging with higher education. You know, they are time rich, they hang out on campus, they, um, they will participate, they have the time, they have the interest in participating in, in sports, uh, they have the energy to participate in sports, in uh, voluntary um, activities, they stick it on their CVs, you know, because they know they've got to fight for graduate jobs afterwards. Um, they do an awful lot of stuff around, around their actual course. It's a particular way of engaging with HE. <coughs> and, so the, and, and so part of the problem with that, and part of the problem with belonging, is that, um, sorry, I should have introduced me and Wright. These are uh, two uh, jo uh, American geographers um, talking about spatial stuff here. Belonging connects matter to place through various practices of boundary making and inhabitation. And so some of those activities um, that I've just mentioned, the sports and the voluntary stuff and the, all that kind of thing, and the hanging out in the bar, 
those are those are practices of belonging. They're practices of inhabitation of a campus a campus space, and that's what makes um, belonging is a it, it, you know it, it's constructed. We you know practices make belonging. Um, it's constructed through power, and it's constructed through social relations. It has um, spatial dimensions. It has psychosocial dimensions. Um, and this final quote from me and Wright. Practices of belonging within a place not only mark the claims of particular groups to particular territories, but in doing so, inevitably identify the other. So that's the point about belonging. It's very exclusive. So you can't belong inside without there being an outside. So, you know, belonging is about sharing common commonalities with, with others, whatever those commonalities are. And in, in doing that, you establish yourself as or your group and you identify another, you, you identify difference. And that's, the, that's a really important thing about belonging. It's not, it's not a sort of um, feel-good, lovely thing that includes everyone. It's actually, it's, it's got borders. It um, excludes, excludes others, and it, it excludes on the basis of difference, defined and implemented through relationships of power. So that led me to the question in terms of my, my research that I was doing. Um, okay, so who belongs? Who belongs in universities? Um, and, and obviously, I was thinking about part-time mature students. Do they belong? How do they belong? And if, or, or you know, do they feel they don't belong? What, what, what's, what's constructing all that? And so, one of the things I, I wanted to think about was these dominant practices of belonging in higher <laughs> education. And um, I wonder if any of you uh, would like to suggest what some dominant practices of belonging in higher education might be. It's not a test, just suggestions. Clubs and societies, clubs and departmental clubs and societies. Yeah, yeah, anything else? Interaction with the nighttime economy. Interaction with the nighttime economy, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very strong, yeah. Anything else? Accommodation. Accommodation, halls of residence, that, yeah, um, that, that kind of the whole culture around those halls of residence. Anything particularly with international students, what their practices of belonging might include? Might be different or might be... Finding fellow students. Finding fellow students, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. are yeah. society, society, yeah. society, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the, yeah, the, so these are some of the these are some of the practices of belonging that go on within uh, the, the the space of the university, um, and and these are the ones some of the ones that I found myself um, through my research. So there was again thinking about Thomas um, and Tinto talking about the academic and the social in terms of belonging, in terms of the ac academic. The practices of belonging um, mentioned the, the, the departmental societies, that kind of thing, the disciplinary identities, the cohort identities, the field trips, the conferences, the whatever goes on. Um, the social, the nighttime economy, but also the sports. Um, picture of some, I think they're playing netball, I'm not sure. Um, enrich, the enrichment activities that universities are so keen on, the voluntary stuff, the leisure. Um, and this, these all require pra the presence on campus. They require time outside contact hours. Um, these are some people sitting on a, sitting on, hanging out, lounging on, on the grass um, by a hall of residence. Um, and, and these kind of ways of belonging are all validated in, in institutional literature, in websites, in prospectuses, um, and, and then become part of institutional strategy. 
Um, so these are all pictures that I took, uh, or I, I've got from the uh, websites and um, yeah, the websites of, of my case study, four case study universities. Um, so what are the implications then if you don't, if you can't do that, or you don't want to do that, or you don't feel um, you're, you're not interested in doing it, or you literally you just can't because you've got to pick the kids up from school, or you don't speak the same language, or you know you don't want to wear these kind of clothes it's or it's against your religion to wear these kind of clothes or or you've never played netball or you know you don't drink or you um you're just not really you, you just don't spend much time on campus that's not what you're there for you're not there to play netball you're there to do a degree in whatever education or whatever um those things make you different they make you other and they make it difficult, they make it complex to belong to the university in the way that the university wants you to belong. Um, so I argue anyway. Um, and so what my research wanted to, what I wanted to do in my research is to is to look at alternative versions of belonging, how students how students do belong, how part-time mature students in my case do do um, negotiate belonging within universities. Um, uh, it, you know, around and between and above and beyond that that model so i wanted to rethink belonging so um the way i did that was to use something um because uh because i i i i felt that belonging was um constructed through space and constructed through power i wanted to find a way of rethinking belonging that way to inter interrogate belonging through those concepts and I use something called a borderland analysis which um, is something uh, is a way of, of um, looking at um, issues we're doing research that was um, I won't say invented but developed by uh, an American um, academic called Louisa Abes um, and the principles behind a borderland analysis and the intention behind this diagram here is that you bring together different theoretical perspectives and you accept the fact that they don't they may disagree in areas or that there may be <coughs> friction between them but that also that that friction actually creates movement and dynamic and and it's in the spaces between that that you find this new theoretical space so I was re-theorizing trying to re-theorize belonging through this this method which I will give some more details it's not just a pretty it's not just a pretty picture. Um, this is the cog diagram. Um, <laughs> they called me the cog woman after the <laughs> conference last year. Um, so how did I kind of populate that, that um, borderland analysis? Apparently I didn't. Oh, there it is. Um, so I use three, I use actually three theorists rather than three theoretical perspectives. I don't know if you can read this at the back, it's come up quite small. This says habitus, capital and field. Okay, any, any guesses? Bourdieu. Well, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I used um, Bourdieu, and uh, he's, he's con very, very commonly used in, in educational research, particularly looking at inequalities. Um, and Bourdieu helped me to conceive of higher education, our stratified, um, our stratified system of higher education, as a structured social space. And, and within that space of belonging as relational. So, you know, an obvious kind of example would be, you know, a working class young person going to Oxford, you know, so a sense of, uh, you know, ha um, habitus, 
being not not fitting, uh, non-aligned with the, the working class, the working class kid, and the and the elite, the elitist of the elite universities. Um, so that kind of clash going on, that fish out of water, which is a classic Bourdieuian phrase. So I used Bourdieu, and that his field analysis method was really helpful in in, in looking at um, higher education. Then I use someone called Avatar Bra, who's a, soci uh, a socialist. I don't know if she's a socialist. She's a sociologist, um, and she um, she worked at Birkbeck for a long a long time. She also um, does a lot of stuff around post-colonial theory, um, and she cons uh, had a had a concept of diaspora, which of course is you know she didn't make that up, but she con conceptualised it in in such a way as to kind of uncover the power relations going on within diaspora. So she came up with something called um, re uh, relational positioning. So when the um, when people come into a host country, they are relationally positioned by the hosts, so that the, they, there are there are differential <coughs> claims to belonging. So the people who are already there, and this is obviously very um, very relevant at the moment, the people who are already there, they they're there, they have a claim to belonging. The people who come in are positioned in a way as to as to have a, a, a lesser claim, if you like, a lesser claim to belonging. And that, for me, this is not a post-colonial piece of work, clearly, but that, for me, was really helpful in, in looking at the positioning of part-time mature students in higher education. And it might be useful um, for you thinking about international students in, in your university. And the third element of my borderland analysis was Doreen Massey, who's a geographer. Um, and Doreen Massey taught talks, writes, thinks about space in a really exciting way, as, as far as I'm concerned. I I'm not going to go into her spatial concepts in any detail, but uh, as well as her sense of space as being something multiple, fluid, always changing, she really connects it up with time. It's, it's, it's quite, it is very exciting. Um, she also gave me some really useful tools in which to look at individual institutions. Um, of a HEI, higher education institution, as an activity space, as, as um, literally a space in which you could see the different geographies of power at work within that space, and how those geographies of power position different groups within, within the institution, within, within the university. So this was, my, um, this was my borderland analysis of belonging, and it was really in the, in the synergies and the, limita you know, the, the kind of conflicts between these three that um, I, I kind of that, that created my new theoretical space for thinking <coughs> about belonging, and I, I've called that um, thinking spatially. Um, so that's all the theory stuff, and then the, then there's the practice, um, and the way that I, the way that one way that I looked at the actual how putting this into practice was to was to think about campus space um, and think about how it was occupied and who occupied it, um, and who wasn't visible, and um, why might they not be visible. And again, these are questions that you might, um, you might usefully ask about international students in your universities. You know, what spaces do they occupy? Where do you see them? Where don't you see them? Um, and um, wh wh what spaces are they, are they kind of making their own? Uh, how are they negotiating belonging through, through those spaces? What I did was I... I developed um, a exercise that I use with students in, in student workshops um, that I ran at each case study uh, university. Um, it was an um, exercise I called mapping belonging. Um, it was a way of making that intangible thing of belonging 
visible or trying to make it visible or seeing if it could be made visible. Um, it was a, obviously a visual method, a, a, a tactile method. What I did very simply was to give the students a campus map um, of their campus and two different colour pens and ask them to put, use one pen to indicate where they belonged, felt they belonged, and another to indicate where they felt they didn't belong. If indeed they had feelings that strong, you know, if it, if, if it was worth you know, them, them making a mark, if you like, on the paper. Um, the reason I, the re uh, we also call them um, hot spots, cold spots sometimes. We, we use different, different language to, to kind of um, make, make that exercise accessible to people. And it was very flexible, so I could use it with an individual, I can use it with a pair, I could get a group to do it. So um, one, of the, one of the great things about that exercise was not just the, the literal, the product, but the fact that it triggered such discussions. And particularly amongst people who didn't really want to do it, you know, I, whether they didn't like the colours or they didn't, they just thought it was silly, you know, but they would talk about it. It did, it did ask the question and, and they did come up with answers. And that was the reason, one of the reasons that I wanted to use that kind of um, exercise with them because uh, a quote here from Rose, um, okay, I'll read it just in case you can't read it at the back. The participant generated visual materials particularly helpful in exploring the taken for granted things in participants' lives. Involves participants reflecting on activities in a way that is not usually done, and that's why for some of them it was uncomfortable. It gives them distance from what they're usually immersed in and allows them to articulate thoughts and feelings that normally uh, usually remain implicit. And it really did. It really did work like that. And the other thing that came out of that exercise, which I hadn't anticipated, was that for some students, when I went to work with them, they were literally off the map. Where they were, where they were taught, for instance, wasn't on a campus map. They were in a satellite building or um, the, you know, some, some weird place off. They, they were nominally at that university, at that campus, but they literally weren't on the map. And I'll show you um, some example, an example of that in the next, in the next slide. Um, okay, so here are three examples. Um, really, you just in the first, the top two, you just need to look at the blocks of colour if, if you can. If you can see those, don't look at the detail. I have blocked out, blonde, you know, blurred some of the detail anyway. Um, the first one here. Um, limited engagement with campus with the campus this was absolutely across every case study every every part-time mature student i engaged with um, and there was about 70 of them they would highlight this person has used yellow to highlight belonging and they've used blue actually to highlight absolute dislike the rest of it is blank um, the yellow is their classroom and i believe it might be a, one a library the library um, the blue was a building that they really disliked. They felt very uncomfortable in. Um, they part-time these part-time students in this particular um, workshop came once a week to the university. They came in. They came out. They were there for three hours or five hours or or whatever it was. In and out, back to work, or back to their family or wherever they wherever they were going they just didn't have the time for instance to 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 engage with the rest of the campus they didn't go to the student union they didn't go to the bar they didn't go to the gym um 
that that is a picture of peripherality, really, which mirrors part-time students, part-time mature students in English higher education. In fact, they are an endangered species as, uh, at the moment. It's depressing, but that's another matter. This one. Um, the green is not belonging. The pink is belonging. Um, and so you can see this student actually felt very strongly that she did not belong. She didn't she felt uncomfortable in um, most of the most of the university campus, apart from this one place, this classroom. This is the classroom. Now here, I don't know if you can see very well, but it's both colours. It's pink and green, and this is where the exercise was really good in in triggering discussion. So I said, "Why is it both?" And she said, "Because it's the library, and um, if I go in, sometimes I have to go in with a buggy, um, and if I go in with a buggy on weekdays, the students look at me like I'm." ridiculous and, and, a, and a pain the staff are a bit kind of awkward it's really difficult to get the buggy down the down the aisles they're not really buggy width um, and so it's uncomfortable but if I go at the weekend the staff are more relaxed they can help me more I don't go enough so that I'm really comfortable with the, where everything is I do need the staff to help me there aren't so many students around so sometimes I and she said and I love the library I love being there I love all the you know the books and the journals and so she, that was really interesting. So she, she felt both. You've had 25 minutes. Thank you. This one, um, this says, we have never been to this campus. <laughs> this was their campus map, right? You may not be able to, there's an arrow here, and that points to actually, that was intended to point to where they have their class. They'd never been there. They didn't know anything about it, really. Um, and, and that was a really interesting example of being off, <coughs> off the map. Think back to um, Thomas's quote about the mainstream activities that all students are engaged in, all students participate in. You know, it's not reflected here. It's not reflected here at all. Um, Bra says, relational positioning shapes the lived experience of a locality. And I think that, that fits this really well as well. Um, very quickly um, and more happily I did discover dimensions of belonging I did discover ways that these students belonged not in the way the university wanted or expected them to um, and I've just very kind of quickly listed them um, and the top three four you probably expect to see the cohort identity disciplinary identity uh, you know we're all nurses we're all um, uh, or we're all you know geographers or professional identity uh, virtual, the Facebook groups tended not to. They tended not to engage with the Blackboard and the Moodle and the ace and the asynchronous kind of virtual support that the university provided. Generally, they'd set up their own Facebook groups. Tutors weren't invited. Um, it was a, it was a sounding board, but it was also a way to have you read this. What shall I do? Yeah, I'm sure you're all familiar with those kind of ways of using social media. So so they were ways of dimensions of belonging, of, of, of engaging with their year group or... There was um, one, one uh, university, ha there was a, they, they called themselves the Saturday students. They came in on a Saturday, they were all working uh, women actually, they came in on a Saturday, the place was deserted pretty much, they sat in a room, uh, they had their classroom, the rest of the, the university was not really open. They went to Sainsbury's and got their sandwiches and they sat in an empty room and ate their sandwiches. And that's what they did on a Saturday. And that had created their, that was their university experience. But that was, that was important. That was a, that's a cohort identity. So these are very strong ways of connecting with 
not, not with the university as such, but their experience of higher education, their experience of what they're doing. What was, um, these are perhaps less obvious, the motivation, um, the way that people think, right, I'm going to, I'm absolutely <coughs> determined, I'm going to get a degree, I've, this is my time, I've wanted to do this for ages, I'm going to bloody get to the end of it. And, and that was the way that they connected. That was their sense of belonging to what they were doing. Imaginary, um, you know, I, uh, one student said to me, I can visualise my hat and gown. I see my hat and gown and I just keep going towards it. And I'm nearly there. I've been doing this for five years. I'm nearly there. I'm not giving up now. That kind of imaginary, you know, connection to, to what they're doing. The momentary, one student who um, was nearly 70, she said a thing that I, I, will, I don't think I'll ever forget. She said, I had this moment once. I took my grandson to play snooker in the students' union. And um, I just looked around suddenly and I thought, how fantastic. Here we are, me and well, whatever his name was, Johnny. And this is my university. And she just had this moment, this flash of kind of connection to university. That woman belonged to that university or that university belonged to that woman. But probably not something that is expressed in strategy very much. And the private, another really interesting story. Though, you know, everyone wears these branded hoodies and things. Universities are really up for that. And this, I said to the student, do you, do you wear branded, any of the branded clothing? She said, oh, yeah, I have got one. I have got one. I said, why aren't you wearing it then? And she said, I, um, I wear it at home when I'm doing my university work. So she literally put on, <laughs> she put on her student identity in terms of this hoodie while she was doing her university work. And she said, it's really bodily, I need to get another one. But, you know, not, not to wear out or anything, just to wear at home. So these are, what, these are dimensions of belonging. This is my last slide. I don't know why this is so small. Um, so to end, I would, I argue that uh, belonging is, is relational, it's contested, it's dimensional, and it's a process, actually. It's not a uniform and finite thing that people achieve in week six or in week at the end of year one or... And in in looking at um, in looking at the it, looking at it in a spatial way, look, thinking about belonging um, spatially. Actually, what I discovered was kind of spaces between. I discovered spaces between the institutional rhetoric of belonging and the student experience, the lived experience. And and you know you can bet it's not just part-time mature students who's, who have differential experiences to what the university or what the institution um, imagines that they they would have. Um, I found spaces between these dominant practices of belonging and this negotiated engagement with space that again are conflicted with, with um, each other. And I found spaces between these common understandings of what belonging is, these assumptions, and we all know what assumptions are, especially my <laughs> oh, it's too rude to say, um, the common understandings and dimensions of belonging. It's a nuanced thing, it's a, it's a, it's a process, it's something in flux. So, I think in terms of the context of this event, um, you know, you, could, you can usefully think, and I'm sure you will, um, how do your international students negotiate belonging within your, within your institutions? What structures and practices support that and what inhibit um, that? Um, and, and what ways do they connect to, to the university and, and how, can, how can this be built on? And I think this has already been touched on um, in, in earlier sessions as well. Um, and particularly, you know, Stefani was um, very articulate in talking about the ways that she, she connects 
um, and we were, I think, all agreed this is all this was really valuable, really constructive. So, I go through the next.